So this morning I'm going to be speaking to you on how to be great. How to be great. When we think of what it means to be great, we think of specific things. We might think of a great musician or a soccer player or maybe a motivational speaker and so on. And there's a new acronym that's come up the last couple of years and because I'm so cool and trying to still be relevant in my middle age, that's really hard to say. I still think of myself in my 20s. I'm going to use it in my sermon. We talk about the goat, the greatest of all time. That's right. So if I was to ask you, who's the goat in basketball, who would you say? Jordan. A lot of people will say Jordan. There are a few people that are um, arguing now that it's LeBron James, but I don't even follow basketball enough to know that that's a thing. Anyway, Jordan is the only one I know. Not really, but. Um, If I were to ask you who the best actor is, that might be a, a little bit of a broader spectrum of answers because it's very subjective, but some might say it's, say it's Jack Nicholson or Marlon Brando or Tom Hanks. It's quite an honor to be considered the best of what you do, and it's natural for all of us to desire to be great. It's a part of human history from the very beginning, and, and at the, the beginning of the Bible, the narrative just is getting started, and we see competition between Cain and Abel. So the competitive nature that is in us is a natural thing. And we like what it feels like to do something well and to receive praise for a job well done. Well, as I was preparing my sermon, I came across an article and it said this, fame, the career choice for half of 16-year-olds. A study has shown that 54% of teens are not looking for a traditional career. And again, if you resort uh, resort to the internet and do a search, you'll find that this article is one of many that claim the same. And for those of you in the room who are a little bit older, TikTok is not the sound of an analog clock. And if you are not connected to TikTok, don't bother because things become relevant and irrelevant faster than we can keep up. And so the moment that you try to figure it out, the kids are moved on to something else and you're left in the uncool section again. Am I right, Facebook? Right? That's just for old people, apparently. Kids want to be a celebrity, an influencer, to get attention for being the best or the most popular. And although the mediums to gain notoriety and recognition have changed over the decades, the desire for competition and to be the best is always, it's always been a thing in society. And we tend to lean towards self-promotion in this me-first, self-centered world. Now, when we think about the criteria of people that people use to determine greatness in the kingdom of the world, it typically has to do with someone's abilities, or their successes, or it may just be because you're really good looking. But that's not the kind of great that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about being great in the kingdom of God. We've done quite a bit of learning about the kingdom of God over the last couple of years. Last year, our theme for King's Castle was on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, that's a part of the Lord's Prayer, where it says, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it seemed to fit so well that a few months later, our church took it on, on earth as in heaven, 
as our church theme for the year. And Pastor Paul spoke for many years about the kingdom of God. The church leadership felt that it, it worked so well in our context that it's remained our theme. And we have shirt logos, uh, shirts and, and logos to promote it. But regardless of how long it resonates as a church-wide theme, it should always be the prayer of our hearts that we see God's kingdom on earth. So what does God's kingdom on earth look like? And what does that have to do with being great? Well, we'll look at this passage of scripture that I've chosen today, Matthew 20, 20 to 28, to see. Matthew 20, 20 to 28. And I'm reading from the ESV. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, kneeling before him, Jesus. She asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit. Sorry, I lost my place because I'm looking at the time. I know we're scrambling a little bit. Um, One at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And 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 they said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And then when the 10 heard it, the 10 other disciples, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of God for the entirety of his ministry, but Jesus makes it clear that in this kingdom, greatness is measured totally different than it is in the kingdom of the world. And there's no point in trying to be the goat in this kingdom. Because if you do, you will be working in opposition to how the kingdom works. Why? Because the principles of the kingdom of God are upside down to the principles of the world. And I've got a chart here. This is where my points are going to go. But this is a little bit of a comparison between the kingdom of of God and the kingdom of the world. So in the kingdom of God, we have others first mentality. In the kingdom of the world, it's me first. In the kingdom of God, the attitude is, what can I give? In the kingdom of the world, it's, what can I get? In the kingdom of God, we must serve with humility. In the kingdom of the world, we serve for heroism and egotism. In the kingdom of God, we serve out of obedience. In the kingdom of the world, we work for power, prestige, position, and possessions. So how do we become great in the kingdom of God? We must live as Jesus lived and become like a servant. He says, even as the Son of Man came to be served, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So point one is to be great, we must have an others first mentality. There's a focus on self-fulfillment rather than making it a priority to serve God and others. But this doesn't line up with Jesus' teachings. And in our program, King's Castle, parents will often hear me talk about how countercultural the program is. 
This has to come first. I say to the kids and to the parents on the beginning of the year, just a reminder, this is first. And for families that are not kingdom-minded, that's really hard to grasp. It's really hard to hold on to because what do you mean? I just paid $600 for hockey registration, and I'm not paying anything for this. Well, there's nothing more important in your child's life than what they learn about serving Jesus. You can't put a price tag on that. And if we're really honest with ourselves, there's only a 0.25% chance that your kid is going to get called up to the NHL. But there is a 100% chance that what they do in serving makes a difference in this life and in eternity. Hockey doesn't do that. And I can use that example because I don't have any kids that are pulled away from (laughs) from the program uh, by hockey that I'm aware of. But there's nothing wrong with pursuing sports as long as sports or music or anything else that you desire to pursue in your life doesn't pull us out of balance and take priority over our call to serve God and others. Society has made it a priority, self-fulfillment, and reaching your greatest potential, but how much stuff do you need to be happy? What goals do you need to reach at work to feel like you finally made it? How much money do you need so that you have all the pleasures in life that you want. As I said, the kingdom of God is upside down, and none of those things are of real importance. There's nothing wrong with striving to be the best you can be for the glory of God. Go and be the best manager. Learn as much as you can. Get all the degrees. But if coming first place is your focus in everything in your life, according to Christ's teachings and the kingdom of God, we can't be his disciples because we need to be willing to put ourselves last. When we choose the needs of others before our own through service and we show them his love, they will know we are his disciples. There's a book, Your God is Too Safe by Mark Buchanan, and it writes a story about Leonard Bernstein, one of the most well-known conductors in his time, and, and he's asked, what's the most difficult instrument to play? And he answers, without hesitation, second violin. I can get lots of first violinists, but to find a second violin who's going to be passionate and in pursuit of that role, or a second flute, or a second trombone, or anything else, it's very difficult to find. And the problem is if no one plays second, we have no harmony. To be great, we need to be willing to be a part of the team and maybe give others a chance to shine. And, and that may mean no pats on the backs for the things that we do, but we need to put others before ourselves. When we look back at another story of the disciples, Mark chapter 9, Jesus is, is teaching um, the disciples all through the book, and, and he knows his time is coming to an end, and he's trying to complete his journey through Galilee with his with his followers because he doesn't want to be recognized. He's trying to keep things in the Father's timeline. But verses 33 to 37 says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. Shame. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and the servant of all. In the first passage I read, James and John were wanting to be right and left. Now we see a passage of the disciples arguing about about rank. And uh, patient Jesus, he teaches again that they have it all wrong. 
And as, as sometimes we get frustrated with the disciples when we're learning things and they seem so fickle in their faith. And how many times are we in the same way? He has to show us over and over again as we are bombarded every day by our earthly hierarchical constructs, that greatness of the kingdom of God doesn't come from holding positions of power or being praised by men or being the goat. Jesus tells us to serve others first and put ourselves last. When I was sharing with my mom and dad this week about what I was going to speak on, my dad brought up this story that uh, he knew about William Booth. And I literally have probably preached less than five sermons in my life where I haven't actually brought up William or Catherine Booth. So this one is not going to be one. But I grew up in the Salvation Army. That's my roots. Yay! (laughs) And William, the founder of the Salvation Army and his wife, Uh, or William, the founder of the the Salvation Army, he was to go to the annual convention, but he was at the end of his life and he he wasn't well. And knowing that uh, many in attendance would be disappointed by his absence, someone who worked closely with him had suggested that he send a telegram just to encourage the soldiers and the officers that would be in attendance. And, And he agreed. However, funds were limited and telegrams charged by the letter And to ensure that they kept as much of the resources as possible for the needy, he decided to keep the message short but meaningful. And at the opening of the conference, the moderator stood up and gave the one-word telegram to the crowd that simply read, others. And without another word, the soldiers knew exactly what he meant because the Salvation Army was founded for the purpose of serving the needs of others, and they knew that that would remain top priority. 1 Corinthians 10 and 24 says, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. When we obey this command, we exhibit a servant's heart, and he is able to use us in great ways. Amen. To be great, we must have an attitude of what can I give? Now, how many here love to give? I love to give, and I'm sure that this building is full of givers because this is a giving church. And the reason for that is because you are hardwired to give. You are created in the image of the giver. It's rooted in God's character, and it's how he demonstrates his love for us. And I've got several scriptures. I'm just going to read a couple. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son James 1 and 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And I could go on with scriptures about God giving to us. God loves to give. And every resource that we have has been provided by him. He gives so that we can bless others. And if we choose to hoard those resources, it looks like we think there's only so much to go around and we're going to get it before somebody else does. And there's no room for faith in God to be able to supply our needs in that scenario. When we think of giving, we often immediately go to physical goods or money. That's not the whole picture. Romans 12 and 8 says, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is uh, giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. God equips us to give by providing gifts and abilities that we can use in his service. There are many ways. We can give with our time, sit with someone who needs some company. 
We can give by preparing for an event. We can give by serving in a Sunday service in one of our periphery ministries for the church of God to be healthy and thriving in the best possible way. Every one of us needs to have the what can I give mentality. Here's a couple of illustrations that we will all be able to relate with. I had a conversation with my son this week, Christian. He's my middle son, for those of you who don't know. And he works in a, a higher-end restaurant, and it's a fairly new restaurant that's just opened. And, and uh, he said to me a couple of nights ago, we had, we had a good chuckle about it, but he, he said, when I put that serving cloth over my arm, I feel like I'm doing something really important. He loves to serve. He loves to serve. And he prides himself on doing the best possible, giving the best possible service he can. And when he comes home and he knows he's done a good job, he tells me the stories of, oh, this is so cool. I love playing with them. I love having a bit of fun with them. But I love coming away and feeling like I've done my job well. And people are coming into that restaurant and they're looking for someone to give them excellent customer service. Now, let's say we go into a store, and you are looking for a specific product, but you can't find anyone to help you, and then you go to checkout, but the lineups are long, you'll finish what you had to do, but chances are you are going to complain about poor customer service. When you go into a restaurant or into a store with great customer service, you're sure to return, and the same thing happens when it comes to church. You return to a church where there's a team offering a warm welcome, where people are there to give you direction, people embrace you and make it feel like you're at home, there's great customer service. Think about the mom that walks into the nursery and there's only two workers on and there's already 10 babies in the nursery. Chances are that mom is going to pick up their baby, turn around and leave again with her child in tow. When there's not enough people on the schedule to meet the needs of the visitors, Church may feel like it's not an inviting place. Now, to be clear, I'm not addressing any problems that we have here at GT at all. We can absolutely improve. We always can. We actually have more than 200 volunteers at GT. But I have faith in where we're headed. I have faith in where we're headed. We're a growing church, and that comes with growing pains. Many of you that are here now weren't here two years ago. And that's awesome. It's exciting. It's estimated that in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And typically, it's safe to say that large portions of the body of Christ treat church like consumers. For the 80% who don't engage, church can become a place to relieve, uh, receive religious goods and services and if their needs are not met, they're just going to shop elsewhere. Not to say that's right or wrong, but that's the truth, if needs are not met. One of the parts of our vision statement can be found on the website. It says, we see a church where consumer-oriented Christians will not feel comfortable. We're not designed here at GT to have people come in and just sit. We need people that are going to serve how many of you would say, I would love to see this church by, grow by another 500 people? Every single one of you should put your hand up. Now, the ones that would hesitate are the ones that are doing the worship team for a third service, or the graders, or the pastors who are already tired on the end of 
Um, Sunday, we, we do other things besides two churches on a Sunday. But yeah, we all want to see our church grow, and 500 people would be awesome. But how many more babies does that mean? How many more children? How many cars need to be parked? How many more phone calls need to be made to new congregants as a check-in? And 500 people means a lot of salvations. Okay, so let's say five or 10 a week. Who's going to check in with them? Who's going to mentor all those baby Sams? Right? There's a need when our church is growing. As a church, we must be guarded as we settle into our weekly events that the sense of entitlement or the what can I get mentality doesn't sneak in. If the nursery is not staffed enough, it might be because you're not serving there. Or if the, ch- the kids' men program seems a little chaotic, it might be because you haven't signed up yet. We too can fall into the trap of becoming consumers, wanting to soak it all in without giving towards it. But God wants us to be active as a part of his growing church. And here is the good news. I can almost guarantee that if you're serving in a place where God places you, if you're listening and you're hearing what it is that he's telling you, where you should be, your appreciation for your church and for the people in it are on, is only going to grow. It's going to feel more like, this is my home. This is my church. And I absolutely love it. In our willingness to give, we must become more like Jesus. And as we serve people, whether it be in front or behind the scenes, we join in with what he's doing. To be great in the kingdom of God, we need to ask, what can I give? To be great, we must serve with humility. At the Last Supper, Jesus gives a clear demonstration of servanthood as he seated with the disciples for their meal. And it's customary for servants to clean the feet of the guests that have traveled. But it's assumed that they are probably alone in the house because there are no servants. And Jesus takes on the role of a servant with a towel and a basin in hand. And he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And we're just going to look at the very end of that passage. John uh, 13, beginning at 15, it says, For I have given you an example that you, should also, uh, that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Here's a couple of things to note here. Jesus serves to fill a need in this situation. He serves to fill a need by carrying out a selfless act of washing the feet of the disciples and then saying, do as I've done. And as already mentioned, we know that God gives gifts. And we need to serve from those gifts. But when it comes to serving with humility, we don't necessarily need to serve out of giftings. Jesus just saw the need and met it. It was unheard of for someone who was considered superior to wash the feet of someone inferior. But he moved in to serve the disciples in a profound way, and it teaches us a lesson in the process. It takes no skill to wash feet. None. All you need is a willing heart and humility. And let me tell you something. Feet are not my favorite. I will wash your feet. 
But feet are not my favorite. Feet are gross. I don't like my own. Seriously. But feet in Jesus' day, I said earlier in the service, are even grosser. <laughs> they, they were uh, covered in mud and dust and animal dung and sandal calluses. And that alone would send a, a lot of people running. And ironically, a part of washing dirty feet means you got to get dirty yourself. you got to get down in the dirt and in the dust. You've got to take your clean hands and touch filthy, grimy feet. It's a job that the lowliest of low were charged to do, and Jesus was not afraid to get his hands dirty. And that's just the start. The second thing is he sets the ultimate example of humility because this task that he's just performed is just setting things up for the next day where he is going to do the ultimate thing, and that is sacrifice his life on the cross. Jesus, who was God, gave up his station. He came as a baby. He lived the life of a servant, and he died a criminal's death, demonstrated nothing but humility. And Paul reiterates their need to serve Christ's example to do so in Philippians 2, 3 to 8, where he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equally with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Jesus tells us to follow his example of serving, how can we not? If Jesus, who is the king of kings, is not too proud to serve, then we too must serve with humility. The last thing, just, this is just a couple of minutes. To be great, we must serve out of obedience. In Matthew 20, it says if you want to be great, you must be a servant. In John 13, Jesus tells us to wash one another's feet. Well, let's look at Matthew 25. He's teaching a, a parable about servanthood. And the king in the story divides people in two groups. He calls them sheep and, sheep and goats based on how they have served. And in verse 40, he says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And throughout his ministry, Jesus always showed special concern for the least of these, those who are marginalized. So it shouldn't be surprising that he expects us to do the same thing. So who are the least of these? They're certainly not the least of these by his standards in any means. But he was likely referring to those with no societal, societal power, those who are disadvantaged, those who are young, disabled, imprisoned, ill, and we can create a list that goes on and on. And Jesus says that when we, when we serve people who fall into this category, essentially we are serving him. And then one last example. When, when Peter t uh, Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep in John 21, he's meaning more than just giving them food. He's telling us to, uh, to nurture others, to care for the church, to feed be uh, believers and the lost with spiritual food, and to go out and seek the lost sheep that are still in the world and bring them in. God calls us to serve one another, but here's the clincher. 
we can serve out of obedience. But we need to serve out of obedience and not out of obligation. To be great in God's kingdom, we must be willing to relinquish our own rights and fall in line with God's correction or direction and plans with joy. We can give up our rights and have the wrong attitude, though. We can ask God what he wants us to do and then do it and whine about it. We could be super busy serving but moan about how much we've sacrificed. Psalm 102 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Yes, serving takes away some of your mean time. And the commitment you make might take longer than you plan sometimes, but when we serve him where he wants us to serve him, we do it with the right attitude. It fills our tanks. It's life-giving. And we experience satisfaction and joy. We have a very special lady in the gym. We have so many amazing workers here, but something that I just saw come alive in Natasha, who, who works with our children. She's one of our directors. And when she first came into position there, she was all of a sudden like, oh, I love this. Can I serve every second week? Because most of our workers schedule at, are scheduled every four. And she just loves it. She just, it lit her up. It just caused her to come alive. She is right where she's supposed to be. And that's what it can be for each and every one of us when we're serving in obedience and with a, a, the right attitude. It's a lot of work in there, but our kids are precious, and they need us to be willing to give them uh, our time. Jesus gave us all, and he still blesses us every day with his presence, his power, his anointing, his healing. And we need to take his example on ourselves and serve others. He says, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Message. Jesus leaves no room for doubting what he means by his actions here. He says, listen, you're not above me. I'm willing to do this and serve you. So how can you not be willing to give in the same way? We're not greater than our master, but he serves and we need to serve in the same way. So the worship team can come, and they'll just play us out. We're not necessarily going to have a, a traditional altar call, although if you feel to respond in that way, you certainly can. But how do we become great? Not by our education or our wealth or our achievements, but through the willing, our willingness to serve. We become great like this. We become great by washing the feet of others. It can be through holding a baby or holding a door, through making a meal or making a prop for a special event. It might be serving kids or serving our seniors. By being a listening ear or someone's ride to church, setting up chairs for a prayer meeting or setting tables for a dinner. Jesus didn't save us so, just so that we can get to heaven. He saved us so we could support one another to show his love to a world which in turn help uh, get uh, and, and in turn help get others to heaven the purpose of our spiritual gifts and abilities that god blesses us with is to point people to cross we can't be afraid to get our hands dirty we are called to serve and we are called to be great let's pray 
Father God, I just thank you for a church that knows what it is to serve. And God, as we grow and our needs become greater, I, b- I believe firmly that everything is in the house that we need. But we need to be obedient and sometimes step out of our comfort zone and be willing to be stretched and to grow a little bit. And Lord, I just pray for GT right now. God, that you will just drop in the hearts of every person here where it is that they're supposed to be serving so that our church will be even more effective than what it is right now. And for those visitors that are here right now that, that maybe go to another church, I pray that that seed has been planted in their lives as well. So when they go back to their church, that they will step up and to serve in whatever capacity you have for them. God, we are your servants. We want to follow your example today. Continue to speak to our hearts through the rest of this day and in the days to come. And show us what it means to be your hands and feet. Show us what it means to be your servants. Show us what it means to to serve with humility and to give of ourselves. It's the least we can do for all that you've done. We love you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. For full services, head over to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's happening here at GT. God bless.